0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Let's start at verse 15 and we'll read this together. It'll be up on the screen for you. It says the son, that's Jesus, Jesus is the son of god the son is the image of the invisible god like i said it's going to be deep right off the bat the son this is this is his 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 position he is the son of god this is his title the son is the image of the invisible God, the image. And in, in other words, when we saw Jesus, when we see Jesus in scripture, or when people saw Jesus on the street some 2,000 years ago, they were looking at the image of God. Now, that, now that word image is familiar to many of us who've been reading scripture because back in the book of Genesis, when God was creating the world and, and he finally got to the end of his creation and he decided to create humans. He, he had a conversation with himself, and it's recorded in Scripture. He said, let us make man in our own image. And now that's not to say that, that man looks like God. Like, it's not to say that God has ten fingers and ten toes. The image is not the, the visual representation. Rather, image is speaking to the character, the same character that God has true righteousness and true holiness and so when god created man he created man to be an image bearer of god to reflect like we say in our mission statement to reflect the wonder and beauty of Jesus Christ. And so the, to reflect the glory of God, to reflect the, the, the character of God, the holiness of God, the purity of God, the righteousness of God, he created man to be an image bearer. Now when man rebelled against God, he immediately stopped reflecting the image. He turned away from God and if the moon turns away or gets out of range of the sun, it's no longer reflecting the glory of the sun. And in the same way, we, we flew out of orbit, as it were. We chose to get out of orbit with God. And we are no longer reflecting. Instead, now we, we live in darkness. You ever, you ever heard of the dark side of the moon? Yeah, I think there was a song about that. Uh, we, like, it's, it's really dark. Because the sun is not, is not touching it. And the sun is the only thing that brings, the, the moon has no light within itself. It's only a reflection of the sun. And in the same way you and I have no life within ourselves. our life is a reflection of the glory of God. We were created to reflect, not to be in and of ourselves. We, we, we were not created to project. We were not created to project, we were created to reflect. And this is what this is what God did. He's he he was he he created Adam and Eve to be reflections of his glory. Now that was marred by sin. That was corrupted by sin. And now and now we 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 experience what theologians call the fall. Well, Jesus comes and Jesus is Uh, called in scripture the second Adam because he is the second perfect image representation of God. He is the image of the invisible God. Now that says something about Jesus that actually the, the first century Gnostics would not have liked. Talked about this last week that Paul is writing the book of Colossians to confront an error or a heresy or a false teaching called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism said that humans are basically evil. Flesh is evil. All matter actually is essentially evil. And so when, when Paul says that Jesus in the flesh was the direct image of God, they would have said, wait a minute, you, that, that's impossible. You can't be human and a perfect representation of the character of God. That, that doesn't work. You can't have real righteousness, real holiness. Like that's that's impossible. So actually the Gnostics, and um, John deals with this in first John, the Gnostics came up with a theory that, that Jesus wasn't actually flesh. He just looked like flesh. So so he was like a he was like a ghost that looked like human. But he wasn't really human which is why john in first john spends so much time saying um, this word became flesh and dwelt among us we 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 touched him we handled him we bumped into him in the middle of the night when we were going to the bathroom you know because because apparitions or or spirits like they don't they don't they don't have to use the restroom right and we lived with this guy he used the restroom He, he ate with us he he shook our hands he prayed over like we we know that he was human. Why is John making such a big deal about that? Well, that's because the Gnostics said, no, he couldn't have been. He couldn't have been. And so, and so Paul is drawing, he's, he's basically setting up his argument right off the bat. He says, Jesus, the Son, is the perfect, is the image of the invisible God. And so this says something about Jesus. This says something about his purity, about his holiness, about his perfection, While he lived here on the earth. But it also says something about the Father. It also says something about the invisible. That the invisible would look for an image. That the invisible would create an image. I don't know if you ever thought about this much. But uh, this is one thing that distinguishes the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From so many other major world religion little G gods. Is that, uh, for instance, in, in the Quran... Um, Allah is, is called the unknowable one. And he's kind of proud of that. He's the unknowable one. He's so lofty. He's so high that nobody can ever know him. And in fact, he's a little bit capricious or a little bit untrustworthy because he just does whatever he wants to do. And you can't say anything about it. You don't like it? Well, That's on you, you know. He just does whatever he wants to do and he's a little bit untrustworthy. You're not really sure what he's gonna do in any given situation because he is the unknowable one. He is Allah, he is up there, he is he is aloof, aloof Allah. He's he's just kinda he's 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 up there and he doesn't want to be revealed. He is sort of like, you know, uh, 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 the little man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to the man. Like, that's what he's doing. He's like, I want to do my stuff, but I don't want you to see me. And see him, he wanted people to know him. And this is one of the things that's amazing about Yehovah, as it's called in the Old Testament, or what we would say, God, the father or God, is, is that he makes promises. And then he keeps promises. He makes covenants and then he keeps covenants. This is what's so different about God and other gods around the world and major religions. They don't make promises and keep them. They don't make covenants Because, they, because how, how, are you going to, how are you going to shrink this, this, this immeasurable deity down to a promise? Why would he pin himself? Why would he paint himself in a corner and say, if you do this, I will do that? Why would he do that when he could just do anything that he wanted to do? Because he wants to be known, because God is seeking an image. And so when the image of God came to earth, the image of God actually didn't hang out in church very often. The image of God was was, was at the bar, was with prostitutes, was with tax collectors. The image of God went to where the hurting, broken, lost, hungry people were because he wants to be known. See, the the, the, the folks in the temple already had a bit of an understanding of the image of God. And so when the image of God came to earth, he didn't go to preach to the choir he went to preach to those who had no knowledge of him because he wants to be known he said man though those that are well they don't need a doctor i am going to those that are sick the image of god this is why the image of god rushes to those who are sick rushes to those who are ignorant rushes to those who are in darkness light seeks out shadows the image of God, Jesus is the image of God that says something about him. It also says something about the invisible, that the, that the invisible is always, and I believe in every generation, the invisible is looking for an image. I believe in every generation, the, the invisible is looking for an incarnate. And I don't mean in the same way that Jesus was incarnate. But Jesus said, you will walk in my steps. You will do what I do. You will look like me. You will reflect my wonder and my glory. And as we reflect him, we also reflect God and we bring the image of God to earth. Paul says Jesus is the image of God and then he gives them another title. So I'm trying to get through verse 15. Gives them another title. He's the image of the invisible and he is also the firstborn over all creation. Uh, The firstborn over all creation. Notice that sounds kind of weird. You would think you would say the firstborn of all creation, but no, he's the firstborn over all creation. Now the Mormons um, will take you to this scripture. If you ever have a nice little chat with them let them come in your house and, and just debate theology, the Mormons will bring you to Colossians chapter one because they believe this is this is the word of God. And they will say, look, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. In other words, Jesus was created just like other things were created. Jesus, uh, in fact, they believe that Jesus is really just a son of God, but God had several spirit sons. And I'm not here to bash other religions, but you need to understand uh, some, some comparing and contrasting with what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that Jesus is one son of God, in fact, in the, in the Mormon um, faith, uh, it's believed that Jesus is a son of God. Lucifer is also a son of God. And that's why Lucifer is so ticked off, because he got jibbed. <laughs> Apparently, they all sat around this big table at this, uh, on this planet near Kolob. Wherever that is, and and they all sat around this table, and and Jehovah said, "I'm I'm 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 going to go create this other planet, and uh, then those people are going to fall into sin, and I need a savior." And so it was like a savior, a savior voting committee thing, and they all, you know, c- you know, kind of like the NFL, they get together, and it's like, all right. So I mean. Just kidding. Uh, anyway, so they, so, so they all got together, and 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 Jehovah said, Jesus is going to be—he's going to be the savior. You get to play savior this time. And and Lucifer got ticked off about that, according to the Mormons. He didn't like that. He wanted to be the savior, and so that's why, according to him, that's why Lucifer is so ticked off. And he and he got a bunch of his brothers, other angels, to agree with him, and they they formed a revolt. They came down here to mess with us and try to stop Jesus from being a savior, which he already was going to be. So, uh, but, but this is, this is a, a view of God, a view of Jesus that he is just, he's a created creature. And that's also what the Gnostics believed, by the way. They believe that Jesus was what they called an, an, an eon. Uh, in, in other words, an, an, an angelic power. Which is why they didn't feel that his death was that important. It was his teaching that was so important. See, he came from the Father. He's telling us about God. Now, the fact that he died and rose again, yeah, I mean, whatever. Uh, angels tend to do that, but 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 the, his teaching, like that's what's really important. And so and, and 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 so Paul is setting up an argument here. He says the Son is the image of the invisible God, which they would have not liked that statement. But also, he's the firstborn over. All creation. The term firstborn doesn't necessarily in the Bible have to do with birth order. Psalm 89, God says of David that David will be my firstborn. Well, How's that work? David was the, last, the youngest one in his family. No, firstborn has to do with a place of favor or a place of prominence. He said he is, he is the, the firstborn or, or he is the prominent one over, and that's the key word, all creation. He is not one of creation. He wasn't made by the Father. He wasn't created by the Father. Rather, he is, he's the preeminent one over all of creation. And Paul is setting up this argument about who Jesus is. And, 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 and the next verse, he, he, he really dives into the weeds of this. He, he says, for in him, and that word in, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. In him, in Jesus, all things were created. Now you think about that for about five seconds, that'll blow your mind. In him... All things were created. So he wasn't created, but within him, within his sphere, within his person, all things were created. And then Paul goes on to explain things in heaven and on earth heaven is the cosmos that's the galaxies that's 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 also you know the stars and the moon and and multiple galaxies in the milky way and, and you zoom out for as far as this universe goes some believe it's still expanding some uh, but it's certainly finite and you can reach you you get to the the end of our known universe that was created within Jesus So as far out as a telescope can reach, as far out as a a little droid can fly, as far out as we can send sounds and have it bounce back to us from certain things, as far out as human mind can comprehend, it's still within the circumference of Jesus. He says, whether things in heaven or things on earth, the most beautiful human was created within the circumference of Jesus, the most ugly cockroach in a cave was created within the circumference of Jesus. No matter, no matter no, the loftiest concept is in Jesus. And he goes on to explain. He says all things in heaven or earth. And then he says visible and invisible. We're talking stuff you can see and we're talking the spirit realm. We're all created within Jesus. And then he names a few things. Whether thrones, that would be local governments or earthly Thrones, governments, powers, presidents, uh, cabinets, senates, uh, any kind of earthly power. But then he says thrones or, or, or powers, that's the thing behind the throne. That's the zeitgeist of the day. That's the that's the, the people that voted them in. That's the movement of society. That's real power. See to, to, to be to, to be in a seat or to be to behind a, a podium with a with with a microphone is a little bit of power. But to be the one who puts that person in power. See that's that's a greater level of power to be the one that influences the minds and hearts of people so that they all agree and move in one particular direction. That's, a, that's an even greater level of power. And, and then greater b- over that is a, a ruler and authority. That's the spiritual forces governing the hearts and minds and goals and objectives and priorities of men. And he goes on to preach about this a little bit in chapter 2. So I won't spend too much time, but mostly these are fairly negative these rulers and powers and authorities are often seen in Paul's writing as demonic powers demonic persuasive uh, principalities if you will a uh, things you know a principle is a thing behind something else it's the it's the force behind the force it's the it's the it's the spirit behind the hatred it's the spirit behind the bigotry. It's the, spirit, it's the spirit of the thing. And Paul says whether things visible or invisible, no matter how powerful they may appear to you, no matter how unstoppable they may seem, they were all created in him. And then he goes on to explain a couple more prepositions that were created in him. All things have been created now through him and for him. I want to spend some time on those three prepositions. in him. Through him and for him. All things have been created in him. To be created in him means that, that they, they find their limits in him. They find the extent of their reach in him. He is the circumference around them. And that's true with regard to demonic powers. It's also true with regard to, to other religions. Have you, ever, have you ever wondered why almost every major world religion... Is is good with Jesus? Have you wondering about that? I don't, I don't know if you ever study other religions, but but the Quran thinks, or the Quran says that Jesus was a prophet of Allah. <laughs> he's one of us. Yeah, he's on our team. The, the, the Buddhists believe that Jesus was a good teacher. Uh, the Krishnas believe that Jesus was a was a was a uh, what would they say? They, uh, an, an an appearance of of the of the krishna they believe that he was good it's, it's interesting to me how almost every world, major world religion looks at jesus the teachings of jesus the person of jesus says yeah he's on our team how in the world is he on all these people's teams <laughs> you can't play for the lions and the patriots at the same time you know what i'm saying like that's not how that works but everybody claims Jesus. Everybody looks, it seems to me, I'm just pointing this out, seems to me almost everybody looks at Jesus and they are good with Jesus. And they bow before Jesus and they give him, they, they tip their hat at, to some level of Jesus. That yeah, his teachings were good or his, he, he was a good person. I mean, you know, it, it, it's amazing to me how almost every world religion looks at Jesus and says, yeah, he is a way, he is a truth, he is a life. But then you go to the teachings of Jesus and Jesus doesn't point to any of them. He's like, I'm not on their team. I'm not on their team. I'm not on their team. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Now, now it might, you know, if if, if you're wondering which religion to join, um, let me just throw this out there. Maybe the, the one guy that everybody agrees there's something special about him and he agrees there's only something special about himself. Maybe he's the way, the truth, the life. If everybody has to revolve around him, if everybody has to scoot around around his teaching and around him, if nobody can confront him and refute him and deny him and dismiss him. (laughs) I mean, other religions don't claim like Joseph Smith, like Mormonism. Like people aren't like, oh yeah, he's one of us. No, you hear Joseph Smith's story and people start backing away. They're like, hey, he's a whoo, yeah, he's, yeah, mm. marrying little girls and, uh, you know, several of them. I mean, this guy, you know, this guy's kind of sketchy. But Jesus, nobody can find fault with him that sticks. Nobody can refute him. Nobody can dismiss him. Instead, they all have to say, yeah, he's, he's one of us, actually. Yeah, we're on his team. It's interesting to me that all things were created in him. It's hard. It's hard for the mountain to tell the sky what to do because the mountain is enveloped by the sky. This is this, this is something, if you're wondering what the practical application of the, the vastness of Jesus is for you, let me just like, let me just mess with the bumper sticker for a minute. That's, that's how I bring it practical. There's a, the, the, the classic Christian meme, you know, don't, don't tell your, how do, I always get it confused. Don't tell your, your, your God how big your mountain is. Tell your mountain how big your God is, right? To tell your mountain how big. Man, like, no, no, no. Like, you don't need to tell your mountain how big your God is. Your mountain remembers the moment that your God formed it your mountain has not forgotten the voice that brought it up from the dirt your mountain cannot deny the thing which envelops it and supports it and holds it together by the word of its power your mountain doesn't your, your Goliath doesn't need to be told how big your God is you need to be told how big your God is. it is us that have forgotten it is us that have imagined ourselves to be larger than him. And yet all of creation bows before him. When Jesus walked the earth, all of creation responded appropriately to him as if he was the word that created everything in the beginning. See, he's talking about creation. All things were created. All things were created in him. Can I just, can I just throw out a really weird scripture for you for a minute? While we're on the deep end of the pool. Proverbs chapter 8. I, I, I have to move. I can't hang out in the fact that all things are in him for too long. But I, I do have to say that all things were created not just in him, but through him. And there's a, there's a really fascinating passage of scripture that as a kid, I grew up reading Proverbs uh, every, every day we were reading. And there was always this weird Proverbs chapter 8 just stuck out to me as strange because it starts off as this person called wisdom. First Corinthians says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. But there's this person called Wisdom. She's, she, as a female, is personified as Wisdom. And she's putting her call out there. And she's, she's trying to tell people why they ought to follow her. But there's this really strange part of the passage where she switches from being a female to being a male. Anyway, I just wanted to read it to you because it's just interesting to me. I, I think it might be talking about maybe another kind of wisdom. Perhaps the wisdom of God. The man, the son Jesus and this is what it says it says the word uh, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way when was that when where did God start that's what Micah asked me a while back I said man that's a deep question he never started he always was so what could be with him at the start of his way if he always was only something else that is also always was it's awful English it's the best way I can say it (laughs) the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old I have been established from there it is everlasting from an eternity past I've been there now this this is maybe this isn't just wisdom maybe this is the wisdom from on high From everlasting, I've been established from the beginning before there was ever an earth. Going on to verse 23. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above when he strengthened the fountains of the deep when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command he's getting detailed almost like he was there <laughs> when he marked out the foundations of the earth then I was and this is the key verse that I want to look at then I was beside him I think that's what John one eighteen says no man has seen the Father at any time, but, but the one and only Son has revealed Him who is beside, who is one with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Simultaneously, with and was. And, and here He says, I was beside Him as a master craftsman. That's, 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 that's the, the masculine side of things. Craftsman. A master craftsman. Well, master craftsman is a term that the that, that the ancient Jews would use as a son who's learning a trade. So so if you're a master craftsman, that means your dad does a job. Let's say he creates galaxies. throw it right out there. He, he he makes stuff. And and one day he says, Okay, well I'm 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 gonna bring you into the shop. I'm going to show you how I do what I do. You're going to come in and you're going to do it with me. I'll tell you like drill here, nail here, scrape here, move that. Adjust, and, and, and we'll do this thing together. He said, I was there beside him as a master craftsman. I wasn't just observing. I was in motion with him. And Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was void without form and the, the spirit of God hovered over the face of the hovered over everything and then God said and his and his voice and his word the word of God went bl- became light that that started uh, blasting into existence all that we see he said I was as a master craftsman he was he was speaking and I was doing And there was this motion. There was this movement. And and community, we were building everything that I just talked about. And I love this part. He says, and I was daily his delight. (laughs) The son said, I was daily his delight. And I was rejoicing always before him. Go on to verse 31. Rejoicing in his inhabited world. And my delight... I believe this is Jesus. My delight was with the sons of men. I want you to understand that the worlds were created in him, yes, but they were also created through him and they were created for him. See, the father looked at his son. This is so important you understand why you exist. Because if you don't understand why you exist, you'll always wonder what your purpose is. You were not created because God needed somebody to talk to. You were not created because God was lonely. You are not created to fill a role. See, so you always feel a slave to a role as long as you think you were created to fill a hole. God said, oh, there's a hole here. Let's make something. Oh, no, no. Necessity is the mother invention for humans. Delight is the mother of invention for God. He said, he said his delight was in me. My father so delighted in me that he started making stuff in me. And what he made in me made me rejoice so much that I delighted in what he made in me. My delight, his delight was in me. My delight was in the sons of men. My delight was in the people that he formed within me, was in the galaxies that he formed within me, was in the land that he formed within me. And everything that he did in me brought joy to me. So you were not created out of necessity. You were created out of delight. You were created out of joy. You were created not to fill a role, but rather to be rejoiced over and to be rejoiced in. And so, and so you were created by joy for joy. And Jesus said, man, his delight was in me. And we had such amazing community and fellowship together that we birthed something out of that. And what we birthed, we were so proud of. We were so rejoicing over. We delighted in. So sin is not just the corruption of the human soul. It is the, it, is, it is the heartbreaking loss of that thing which the father and the son delighted in. Is it any wonder that the son said, I will go to earth. I will lay down my life for the joy that was set before him. What is the joy? That that thing which was created for him would return to him. You have to know your origins. You have to know the context of your origin. Your context of your origin is not need. It's not loss. It's not a hole. It's not a gap. You're not filling something. Rather, it is delight. It's joy. God rejoiced over what he made his delight was in the sons of men and because of that these your your existence is for his delight so revelation four says he says you created all things and you made them all for your pleasure for your delight now satan would the god little g god of this world would love to come in and convince you that you were created for your own delight or for somebody else's delight and it sounds real good initially because we were made to appreciate delight. Because the one who made us was delighting over us. And it would be a perfect response for us to appreciate delight and to desire delight, to desire joy. And so the God of this world comes and says, yeah, you were created for your own delight. Now now go out and seek what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. And it sounds so, 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 so godlike because God just did what made him happy. And what he produced made him happy and made us happy. And the joy that that, that resonated between us. But the, the, the missing key is here is the sun. What is not created in the sun can never find joy or happiness or delight. We were uh, introducing our kids, and I'll get ready to close. I was going to go on to the next verse. I just don't have time. But we were, but hey, we do have time. Next Sunday. We're going to get into the next verse. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Christmas in Colossians, here we come. We were introducing Madden and Micah to um, uh, the, the classic 80s worship band, um, ACDC. Uh, you, might have, you might have heard of them. Um, well, it started because we were in the car and we were talking about rain and a storm and something and Micah started going, he was like, he was making up a song. He's like, thunder, do, do, thunder, he never, he never heard it. But, my, I mean, my my kid's obviously a prodigy, you know. He's just <laughs> genius, way beyond his years. And we were like, you know, that's a, a real song, actually. That's right. People are just ignorant enough to just sing that. Like, that's a song. Just have a little beat and a little guitar riff and then shout thunder. Like, that's a song. <laughs> and he's like, really? We're like, yeah, yeah. So we get on YouTube and we start playing it in the car, you know, thunder, da, 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 da. I don't know what else they're saying, but I always got the thunder part, and uh, <laughs> which was the sketchy part, because we were like, so what are these songs about? Like, we need to check on. And so then, so they, they really like thunder song, and so we were going through other ACDC songs we we're scrolling through, and I'm trying to filter out, you know, some of the ones that wouldn't be so good for kids to listen to, and because um, I'm a responsible parent, and I wasn't planning on preaching on it, but here we are. Um, and it came across, you know, a couple, a couple of just classic '80s rock songs. You know, it's just, it's just good, just good stuff. And, and we're listening to it, and, and uh, we, we came across some other ones that were like Hell's Bells and Highway to Hell. A lot of stuff about hell. And my kids are like, what? What's the song about hell?" And I'm like, "Well, they're kind of singing about going to hell quickly. They're, it's about a highway to hell because they are they are like, 'cause they're, they're like, they're, they're happy about it, apparently." And um, Micah's like, "That's such a weird thing." Once again, my seven-year-old genius. He's like, that's so weird. Why would you be happy about hell? And I said, well, you know. And so we started watching one of the other concerts, and everybody had these devil horns, these light-up devil horns, you know, and they're like doing all this. And and and, and I'm like, they're like, oh, they have devil horns. I'm like, well, yeah, because they're kind of celebrating hell and the devil, and like this is kind of what ACDC, like they were, they were happy about that. Sold a lot of records for them, you know, packed out stadiums. And Micah's like, like, that's so weird. Why would you be happy about hell? I said, well, bud, I mean, technically... They don't believe in hell. There's no way if you actually believed in eternal conscious torment that you would at all, like, this is like, you know, you wouldn't celebrate that. You wouldn't even sing about that. You certainly would try not to go there. You would not build a highway toward that destination. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, it's not going to do that. Like, you know, and it's like, well, but they just don't believe in it. And he said, well, why not? I said, well, I don't think they really believed. I don't think they liked God very much. Let's just put it that way. And he said, oh, well, is it because they wanted to be the boss of their lives? Bingo. I said, yeah, I think that's it. I think God was just too strict for them. He's just too, you know, like in charge and stuff. It's too big for them. They didn't want to think about that. They didn't want to kneel before that. And we saw on YouTube actually where one of the guitar players, the co-founder of the band died um, in 2017. Uh, I forget his name, but he passed away. And, uh, and I was like, well, he believes in God now. And I, and I hope that before he died, before it was too late, that he realized there are no bells there in hell. And I hope that he submitted to Jesus because if he didn't, he's two years in to never ending torment I mean like no breaks burning, falling, drowning these are the ways that the Bible tries that Jesus tries to describe this place with no relief no death no ending and I don't know I've never experienced that kind of suffering, that kind of loss, that kind of darkness actually the Bible says that you can't see the hand in front of your face I've never experienced that, but I would imagine probably the worst part about that is that after two years of un- unrelenting agony, you have begun to serve your sentence. Your sentence that has no end. In other words, you'll be two years in, you'll be a hundred years in, you'll be a million years in, you'll be a billion, you'll be a quintillion years in, and you will have not even begun. Because after that, there's an infinite number of years, if you want to call it that. You might as well not even count anymore because there is no parole. There is no escape. And I said, man, the packing stadiums wasn't worth it. The millions of dollars wasn't worth it. Nothing is worth it. Being cast out from the presence of God. See, not, even, not only the physical torment, but the, the anguish and the loss and the regret and the mourn and, and the absence of the Holy Spirit, the absence of hope, the absence of joy, the absence of delight, the absolute antithesis of peace. I know what that's like on a tiny, measurable scale for moments. I don't know what that is for an existence. I'm not trying to scare my kids. I'm just trying to let them know that there are no bells there. and That it's not a good place, but that rather Jesus, and this is what's awful, is that you would, you, Jesus would extend grace to ACDC, extend grace to us, die for us to save us from that destiny then we look at that and we say, uh, eh, I've got other stuff that I'm pursuing. I'll get around to it. Probably, maybe, I don't know. You might not. <laughs> you might, you might not. Our neighbors might not. These kids that we're feeding might never get around to it, which is why we have to. We have to lift up Jesus because Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself because all men were created to be in me. And until they're in me, they're not happy. Until they're in me, they're not at peace. And if they remain outside me for eternity, this is, this is what that looks like. Falling, drowning, burning, whatever. This is what it looks like. But in me, is heaven. In me is, and he just starts describing what it's like to be eternally in him. It's the exact opposite. Of all things, hell actually has bells. You might want a highway there. <laughs> just saying. It's, and like build road barriers and so you don't get off in any other exits. Like just there. Just with Jesus. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a minute? We're about to dismiss. But I want, I want to give you a chance to respond to the one that you were created to be in. All things were created through him and actually for him. Now, if you live your life for yourself, then you'll miss him. But when you live your life for him, everything makes sense. If you'd like to do that today, what I would suggest is just that you come before God, just open-handed and say, God, I need you. I've been living for myself been making decisions for myself I've been seeking my own pleasure and I haven't sought to give you pleasure I haven't lived in light of this God who is worthy of all of my devotion all of my praise all my worship he's it's just who he is and so I choose today to give back to him what's his which is my heart which is my my life that he would find delight in me That he would find joy in me again. That he would smile when he thinks of me again. That he would rejoice over me. Scripture says with singing, dancing over us. The joy that was set before him was not heaven. The joy that was set before him was the reconciliation of all things to him. He was looking to bring everything back to himself. And he saw that. He saw the reconciliation of all things to him. Both visible and invisible. He saw that all things were coming back together into fellowship, into community with him and his father where there is joy, where there is delight, where there is peace, where there is connection. He saw you coming into that same family. He saw you walking into that same place and pulling up a seat at that same table that you have no right to be at except for the fact that he made a way for us to be there. And he rejoiced even while he was making that way, even while he was suffering. He rejoiced in the fact that he was creating space for us to come back into fellowship with the Father. He could endure the the cross because he saw the the joy that was set before him. He saw the results, the benefit of it. And he counted it worth it. So Father, thank you for sending your son and the son for giving his life. And even today, the Holy Spirit for bringing it to our minds and helping us to understand the greatness, the majesty, the beauty, the delight of Jesus. Thank you for his work in the city. Thank you for his work in this church, for his work in our families, in our kids, in our hearts, in our relationships. We thank you that he's not done working and bringing all things together. We thank you that he's still pulling stuff from every corner. He's still working all things together. He's still still holding all things together. We thank you that you're not finished. and You're not done yet. And in the middle of the suffering, we look forward to the joy that's set there for us, laid up for us. And there's suddenly no more walls, no more barriers between us. And we see Jesus face to face. It's in your name we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.